Eagles Entertainment. You do a lot of listening in your lifetime. You listen to your doctor, your spouse, and this podcast. It's time you listen to your body. At Novacare Rehabilitation, our expert therapist can help you get rid of your aches and pain to get you back to what you love. Go to Novacare.com to learn more. And we're back. At the end of our last episode, it was 1976, and we were enjoying the five-star comfort of the Beverly Hills Hotel where Jim Murray, the Eagles general manager, and team owner Leonard Toast were staying on L.A. business. The purpose of this trip, interview Hank Stram, the man who coached the Kansas City Chiefs to a championship in Super Bowl IV. The front office was courting him to become the Philadelphia Eagles' new head coach. During some downtime, the gentlemen turned the television dial to the Rose Bowl and were transfixed by what unfolded. This was a showdown between Coach Dick Vermeil's UCLA Bruins, the 15-and-a-half-point underdogs, and the undefeated Ohio State Buckeyes. You know what happened next. Coach Vermeil's team won, and Jim Murray picked up the phone. I said, I want to call this guy. So I called Dick Vermeil. Dick, Jim Murray, Philadelphia Eagles were out here to interview some guys for the Eagles job, and uh, he was very crisp. <laughs> uh, thanks, Jimmy. I hope you do good, but uh, no thanks. Dial tone. Jim said to himself, well, that was a bad call, but we've got other guys to interview. Five minutes later, God changed all of our lives because he called back. I was thinking about what you said. I'm on my way over. Now, how he got there that fast, you know, he was a racetrack driver. I don't know, but Wherever the heck he was, all at once, five minutes later, he's at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Jim watched candidate Vermeil and the Eagles owner. I'm just looking at him and Leonard, two very different personalities, but very much the same in very direct TV. He not only was interested, he said, ah, I'll talk to you later. And I thought, wow, talk about first impressions. Jim had joined the Eagles in 1969 to work in public relations. And in 1974, he became the GM. In that time, the Eagles cycled through three head coaches, Jerry Williams, Ed Kayat, and Mike McCormick. So he decided this time, the hiring process had to change. I said, no matter who we interview, we're going to interview you twice. We don't want to do anything impulsive. Well, not only did we interview him, he came back to the nifty little room we stayed in It was love at first sight or second sight because not only was he interested, I looked at him and I thought, Philly will love this guy. But Coach Vermeil wasn't convinced yet. He, Carol, and the kids had a good life in L.A. He had a great job at UCLA. He was proud of the team he and the other coaches had built. They were confident more success would come. Plus, he wasn't interested in moving again. But when he told people about the phone call and the meeting, he was met with disbelief. So after conversations with some of the Vermeil inner circle, Chuck Knox and George Allen, he decided to hear what the Eagles had to offer. Jim Murray convinced me this was the thing to do. He's a great salesman. I remember a lot of the conversation. And they didn't lie to me. They told me the truth. They wanted to win and they were desperate and they thought I could do it for them. They wanted that approach. And uh, I remember John... (laughs) Jimmy Murray said, Coach, you come and turn this program around, you'll be bigger than John Wayne in Philadelphia. That's what he, That's exactly what he said. 
You are listening to Return Game, Coach Ramil, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation. I'm your host, Rob Ellis. Welcome to the Philadelphia Eagles years. The next seven seasons would become the most challenging and rewarding of his career. I came to Philadelphia young, thinking I had all the answers, had probably too much confidence, too much passion and compassion all wrapped up into a a young mind that was excited about an opportunity. Went from making $30,000 a year to $50,000 a year. I thought I was a multimillionaire and uh, got involved. The moment Coach Dick Vermeil landed in Philadelphia, a feeling of optimism swept through the gritty city. When the news broke that we've just hired Dick Vermeil, my feeling was, well, you just hired yourself a coach. Leonard was changing coaches the way most people change their socks. But when I found out that they hired Dick Vermeil, based on what I had seen in the Rose Bowl, I felt they found their guy. And they did. When he arrived, the women swooned. He came out of Los Angeles. It looked like Robert Redford, a young Robert Redford, had just arrived to coach the Eagles. And he was tough and he was passionate. He had all the ingredients that you would want in a great head coach. Sure, it's one thing to impress Ray Didinger and Merrill Reese, but Coach Ramil was taking over a struggling franchise. It was packed with hardened men like Texan Jerry Sizemore, who had played for the Eagles for years and weren't accustomed to a take-no-prisoners approach. We went from a pro-style management, you know, hey, just win on Sunday. You know, we're not going to kill you, and uh, we're not going to stress you out, but take care of business on Sunday, to where Dick Vermeil knew zero about life in the NFL, but he was just going to work hard. He was going to figure it out. The emotion and the passion from Dick Vermeil was off the charts. I mean, that guy was 24-7, 365-plus, four vacations. He had a saying, the best way to kill time is to work it to death. No one in the National Football League will outwork us. And that was a fact, Jack. Vermeil's first training camp was hard, and Bill Berge wasn't buying in during those sweaty August days. He was a tough, tough son of a gun. We had to have our chin straps buckled all the time. He would tell us when we could have a drink of water. I'm a a guy that was making all pro, and this guy is telling me uh, that I have to keep my chin strap buckled. In the end, Sizemore and Berge would be with the Eagles for the long haul. Carl Hairston was new, new to Philly, new to the NFL, and new to Coach Vermeil's way of motivating his players. Yeah, I think the second day of practice, uh, we were stretching, and he walked by me, and he told me, he says, you have no chance in hell of making this football team. And that was my first interaction with Coach Vermeil. And I was like, uh, I was in my head, I was like, well, why am I here? But I think that was a way of him trying to motivate me you know, because he, he liked guys who worked hard, and I kind of fit that mode. On the last day of his rookie training camp, Coach Ramil had a decision to make. Choose Carl the rookie or someone with more experience. But he walked to me and says, I'm going to cut this veteran play. I'm going to take my chances on you. And I told him, I says, Coach, I thank you. You will never regret it. But the Vermeil philosophy wasn't going to sink in all at once. Carl Peterson, who coached with Dick at UCLA, reunited with him in a front office role with the Eagles and realized this when he walked into the Eagles' locker room. 
I'll never forget the first uh, game that I was involved with with the Eagles and coming in at halftime, turning into the players' locker room, and it's filled with smoke. And our starting right tackle, Stan Walters, is draining a cigarette to Bill Berge or somebody doing the same thing. And both of them looked at me and they said, what are you looking at, college coach? He said, we don't drink Coke and eat half oranges at halftime like you do at UCLA. Let that sink in. Smoking in an NFL locker room? His first game as head coach in the NFL was the season opener against the Dallas Cowboys in Texas. Needless to say, the birds were crushed, 27-7. A tough but expected loss. The birds hadn't beaten the boys for years. Did this loss and the decision to uproot his family and move to the East Coast give Coach Ramil any pause? I did have second thoughts because they didn't have any draft choices. You know, and players win games, not coaches. But I decided in coming that I would take on the job and treat it as if they're college kids and develop my own players the best I could possibly do. And eliminating people that really didn't want to work, that people that just wanted to make a living playing football. And I surrounded myself with a group of wonderful people. And you may have heard of one of them. He always wanted to have the players that fitted his mold. And I think Vince Papalik fit that mold. Vince wasn't fast. Vince just worked hard, and that's what Coach liked. And plus, he was from Philadelphia. So he decided to take a chance on a guy from Philadelphia who was a favorite player in Philadelphia at that time. Vince, you know, he was he always stood out in all the drills. And next thing we know, Vince Lapel is on our roster going to training camp. If you've seen the movie Invincible, you think you know the Vince Papali story. Youngish bartender from the Philadelphia area goes on to an open tryout hosted by Vermeil and the Eagles and against all odds, makes the team. That's not exactly how it went, but Papali himself says there are some kernels of truth in that story. Coach Ramil did want to see some fresh talent. One of the first things he decided to do was to have a free agent tryout. If I can get one of those guys, maybe sort of rattle the, the team a little bit, I turned out to be that guy. And at first, everybody thought it was a joke, and then it became a real thing. I wound up captain of the team the next year. At 30, Papali became the oldest rookie in the history of the NFL to play without college football experience, not counting kickers. I'll never forget that. And, uh, you know, to put the uniform on for real for the first time, I'll, I'll never forget it. It was in San Diego. It was a preseason game. And I heard the national anthem for the first time, and I, I cried like a baby. I was in absolute tears. I could not believe that I was on an NFL football field wearing an Eagles jersey, number 83, representing the city of Philadelphia. And it was one of the, for me, most memorable and emotional experiences I've ever had. It was almost as good as having a child, but it was pretty cool. Vince Papali's unlikely football path was the first time that Coach Vermeil plucked someone from relative obscurity, believed in them, and pushed this player to be the best version of themselves. But it wouldn't be the last. The Eagles went on to win just four games that season. Not great. The only team the Birds dominated in the NFC East were the Giants. So that was one less team Coach Ramil and his guys needed to worry about. In a press conference before the 1977 season, Coach Ramil, who was always a press favorite, sent a message to the fans. It was our goal in 1976 to give every Philadelphia Eagle football player an opportunity to prove to us what he could do. We think we can improve in the 1977 season. Rocky was satisfied with his one shot at the title. We're looking forward to a rematch. It was exactly what they wanted to hear. 
1977 season saw some changes to the roster. Quarterback Ron Jaworski was traded by the Rams to Philly. Wilbert Montgomery was drafted in the sixth round. Coach Ramil just kept adding his type of guys. Guys willing to work hard, go all out in games, and keep improving as individuals and as a group. And all that added up to the slightest improvement on the previous year, picking up five wins. One of those 1977 recruits, Herm Edwards, had a little history with Coach Vermeil. Coach had recruited him out of high school to play at UCLA. Herm didn't pick UCLA, opting for Cal, and then transferring to San Diego State. But he was familiar with Vermeil's reputation. He was undrafted in 1977 and found himself across the desk from Coach explaining how badly he wanted to compete and how hard he was prepared to work. Sounds like catnip for our young coach. It worked. The Eagles signed Herm. It turned out pretty good, I think, for both of us. I ended up being a starter as a rookie, never missed a practice, never missed a game. We lost some close games. We were very competitive, but we couldn't finish the game, right? And in 78, we felt like we've learned a lesson from that. And there were still some games all of a sudden, you know, that toward the end, we needed to make a play or two. But for Herm, that play was coming. It was a play that changed the fortune of Dick Vermeil's coaching career and the entire Eagles franchise, and would turn out to be one of the most famous plays in Eagles history. 1978, NASA unveils its first group of female astronauts. The Garfield comic strip debuted in U.S. newspapers. The Love Boat, The Muppet Show, and Happy Days were top TV shows that year. The NFL added two regular season games, bringing the total to 16. Would this mean more wins for the team? In Philadelphia, it was year three of the Vermeil regime. If you followed his coaching career, you'll know that that third year is when the magic happens, the tipping point, so to speak. And Ray Didinger noticed it too. By the third year in training camp, you could see it. You could kind of see the thing coming together because they were fully invested in his program. They were fully believing in his message. And now you had some guys that could really play. In the third year, you could definitely see that this was becoming a formidable team. It was November 1978, week 12 of this extended season. The Eagles were playing at the Meadowlands. Let's have Ray and Herm up the stakes. Leonard Toes was in a hospital in Houston. He had just undergone open-heart surgery, which was very touch-and-go as to whether he's even going to come out of it. We felt like if we could win this game, it would set us at a, at a different level as a team. In fact, depending on how the rest of the season went, winning this game could give the Eagles a shot at the playoffs, something that had eluded them since 1960. We knew it was going to be a tough game because it's always physical when you play in an NFC East team. Going into that, we were the favorite. And early we scored and we felt like we had control of this football game. But toward the end, they scored. And took a lead on us. And all of a sudden, kind of the oxygen of the team kind of went, oh. And we were all standing around going, are you kidding me right now? And it's a game where the Eagles did not play well. And Ron Jaworski did not play well. And looked like they were going to lose a game to a very, very mediocre Giants team. It came down to the final minutes or seconds. CBS commentator Don Crickey was so confident the Giants were going to win this game, he started to read the credits. As the clock winds out on the Philadelphia Eagles, a game they thought would project them into a possible wild card position. It would bring them 7-5 and five had they won. But a late interception by the Giants 
will preserve a giant victory. An upset win as the Giants lead 17 to 12. We're inside 30 seconds. The Eagles have no timeouts. He wasn't alone. Coach Vermeil even removed his headset. But down on the field, there's confusion in the Giants' huddle. And Carl Hairston had this mantra going through his head. And Coach always told us just keep playing hard. You never know what the outcome of a game is going to be if and when it's close. Herm can see some hesitancy when they head back to the line of scrimmage. And I'm on the right side of, of a tight formation where they're basically just trying to hand the ball off. and Just, you know, don't even give any yards. Just let the clock run because we don't have any timeouts left. We can't stop the clock. It was, I think, uh, I don't know, 26 seconds or something like that. The clock is dwindling down. Should be the last play. And lo and behold, they bobble the snap to the running back. Joe turned the handleball to Larry Zonka, and Larry didn't know. Larry thought there was going to flop on the ball also. So Larry went up into the line of scrimmage, and, and the ball hit Larry Zonka on the hip. And I was in position enough to see this happening before it even happened. It actually was being fumbled from the quarterback center exchange. It takes a bounce. In my mind, I'm thinking, I got to get it on the first hop. Wait a minute. Here's a free foot. I don't believe it. The Eagles pick it up, and Herman Edwards runs it in for a touchdown. An incredible development. He just loses the snap, doesn't get it. And who's right there? Herman Edwards picks it up on the dead run and goes in for a touchdown. And sure enough, I get it on a good bounce. And as I'm running toward the end zone to score, and here comes Dick Vermeil. I have coaches thought, and what he says all the time is when we score, act like we've been there. Don't slam the ball to the ground. Just give it to the official. So I'm running. And I get to the end zone and I jump up in the air and I have the ball like I'm going to spike it. And I'm thinking, if I spike this ball, I wonder if coach is going to get mad at me. And so I spike it anyway. The really, the kicker to the story is this, is that as I'm scoring and running in for a touchdown, Coach Vermeil is actually walking the other way. I was taking my headset off, you know, and the game is over. I'm like this. And all of a sudden, it all hell breaks loose. Zaka and Pizarczyk missed the connection. The ball hops up on the one hop to Herman Edwards. He's in a got an open lane right into the end zone with 20 seconds left while the Giants are running out the game with a seven. Look at Dick Vermeil. He can't believe it. He's not really paying attention because he's thinking this thing's over. And players are running past him. And he grabs one of the players and says, where are you going? So one of the players turned around and said, Coach, Herm just scored a touchdown. And he looks around. He says, what? And he, and he sees me in the end zone, obviously. But he never saw the play live. He never saw it happen. He was walking the other way. And Herman Edwards picked up and ran in for a touchdown. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This just has just happened. Well, with 20 seconds left, the Eagles lead the Giants 19. That's unbelievable. I've seen Dempsey kick the 63-yard field goal. I fell out of the press box of that one. Unbelievable. One member of the Eagles' front office who had a bird's-eye view of the unexpected ending was general manager Jim Murray. Well, I always was down near where it would be necessary to explain why we lost <laughs> and uh, or won. And that was one of those moments in sports that stays in your heart because winning that game was so unlikely. I mean, the way the game went, the way we were, and it changed things. Jim Murray, who was the general manager, got on the payphone to call the hospital in Houston, Texas, to put Leonard Toes on the phone with the coaches and players that day. And I remember standing there taking notes as the whole thing played out. And he got Leonard on the phone, and the first person that he handed the phone to was Dick Vermeil. Always remember Dick saying, 
So what did that do to your new valve? <laughs> and I bet you Herman Edwards, and I know Herman extremely well, is uh, tired of responding to that one play that he made. But it did uh, sort of put a tattoo on everybody. Okay. Can't take it off. It's, there it is. Miracle of the Meadowlands tattooed right on your shoulder. You'll never forget it. This season was a huge confidence booster for the Eagles. They finished the year with more wins than losses. The team secured a wild card spot. In the playoffs, they lost a nail biter to the Falcons. Final score 14 13. But the Eagles had found a winning formula, which could only mean one thing the best was yet to come. You've been listening to Return Game, Coach Ramil, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation. I'm Rob Ellis. Thanks for listening. You do a lot of listening in your lifetime. You listen to your doctor, your spouse, and this podcast. It's time you listen to your body. At Novacare Rehabilitation, our expert therapist can help you get rid of your aches and pain to get you back to what you love. Go to novacare.com to learn more.